Good morning, beautiful people of New Life Church. At least I think you're beautiful. I lost my glasses in between the surfaces, so <laughs> you're all a little fuzzy, to be honest. It's kind of the thing about losing your glasses, it's kind of hard to find your glasses. <laughs> That's, I'll be all right, as long as I can see the notes here. Oh, that's fine. Oh. You want to join them over here? Wish we had more seats for you. Here. Just stand up for a second. You need to be with your family. Where do you want to be? You want to be over here? Yeah. Yeah. So as a church, uh, we are a family. The Bible calls us to Rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And today we mourn with this family in the front row. This is the Smythe family. They're a new family to our church. You maybe not recognize their faces or maybe their names. They joined us not long before COVID. They brought with them... uh, a beautiful boy by the name of Braxton, who's here. And, uh, and then Megan gave birth to Brayden. And uh, on Tuesday, Brayden went to be with Jesus. So you see the family up there. Brayden, just over two years old. You may have heard it in the news this week. Had a, just a sudden tragic accident at the daycare. And uh, your whole world came crashing down. I remember when you guys, it was November 3rd, 2019, the two of you came up here and you had this beautiful new little boy, Brayden, with you right here, this spot. And you dedicated him to the Lord. And one of the things you did is you said, God, you put him into our hands, but he's not ultimately ours. God, we recognize that he's not ours as much as we love him. And we have hopes and we have dreams and plans for his life, but ultimately, God, we recognize that he's not ours, he's yours, and we give him to you. And when you did that, you had no idea what was going to happen, that you'd have to give him back to God so quick. But you're having to to live those words now. And I want you to know, on behalf of this whole church family, we are with you, okay? We love you, we will pray for you, We will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. And I want you to know that God walks with you. There's a a hope that God offers to us that uh, carries us through the darkest valleys, even the valley of death. And that's the hope that through Jesus Christ and his death on our behalf and his resurrection from the dead, 
He has opened up a way for us to live with God forever. And this is the hope. This is the only hope. This is the hope that you're going to have to cling to. Is that um, your little boy is not gone forever. He's just gone ahead. Through Jesus, you can be together again. But in the meantime, there's a lot of pain. And so, so church, they're our family. And uh, they were here this morning. I couldn't believe that. I was surprised that wanted to be here. But I, I think that that suggested that uh, you, you want the hope and the comfort that comes from God and from God's people. And we'll pray that, that you, you have the ability to receive that today and going forward. So on Tuesday, there's going to be a viewing, a public viewing at Chapel On in Winnipeg. On Wednesday at 2 o'clock, there's going to be a public service in Chapel On. And if you want the details of that because you want to um, participate one of those days, uh, you might be able to find it online or you can call the church office and we'll let you give you those details. Okay. We're going to pray over you right now. Church, you just want to join me in prayer? And I don't, if, from where you are, if you feel comfortable, maybe you just want to even kind of extend their, a hand their way. We just want to pray God's uh, comfort, comforting power and presence on them. God, we lift up to you this family, Rick, and Megan, and Betty Ann, and Braxton, who's just lost his little brother, and the other grandparents and the uncles and aunts. Lord, we just, we lift this family up to you, Lord, that there's just no answers to the questions they have about why this has happened. But God, you have, uh, you have given us knowledge of who you are. We know you. We know who you are for us. We know what you've done for us. You, we know what you make available to all who trust in you, this life that even death cannot extinguish. And so, God, I, I pray that today in this moment and through this day and moving forward that you would be very near to this family, that they would feel your loving arms wrapped around them, Lord, and that they would just be carried along in their grief and their pain. They would just kind of be, they would just have this supernatural comfort and peace that would carry them along forward in this difficult path. But Lord, you walk beside them and you give hope. And Lord, may that hope just be enough for them. And Lord, would you just show us how we as a church can come alongside and be family to this family. We thank you, God, that you make a way for all of us. Every single one of us is going to breathe our last breath someday. And we don't know when. But we thank you, God, that we can have this certain knowledge that when that day comes, we can know that what lies on the other side, that there is life for us in your presence through your son, Jesus. Lord, may we all know that gift that we receive by faith in your son. Lord, and now as we come to your word, we just invite your spirit to come and to speak to our minds and our hearts and give us, God, what we need from you today. In Jesus' name, amen.
So this morning we're continuing, I mean, it's hard to even kind of go forward and preach, but, but I do believe that in, in God's Word to us this morning that there, uh, there, there's, there's comfort in these words, there's encouragement, there's challenge for us that maybe is appropriate for us today. We're in the middle of a series going through the Gospel of Mark. We've called it Kingdom Come because Mark shows us through the life and the teaching of Jesus how Jesus came to establish God's kingdom on earth, a kingdom that is growing and building and will be finally and fully realized at some point in the future when God brings history to a close and all God's people dwell with Him forever. But this is a kingdom that has begun in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so in this gospel, we, we see this growing kingdom. We see what it's like. We see what it looks like to live as a part of it. God's kingdom is that place and among those people in whom God's way holds sway, where everything is just as God desires it to be, where everything is put right, there's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is to restore what sin has broken to restore the well-being of human life and even the whole created order. This is what God has begun in His Son. This is what we are a part of as those who follow Him. Last week, if you heard the message, we looked at four stories Incredible miracles that Jesus worked that showed for us the breadth of His power and authority. How He calmed the storm, the wind and the waves at His command. We saw how Jesus has power over the natural forces of the world. And how He cast out those demons out of that tormented man, showing us that Jesus has power over the supernatural forces. How He healed the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and exhausted all other hope with the medical system. And in a moment, he healed her. Jesus has authority and power over sickness, and he even has power and authority over death. That fourth story, the little girl, a little girl who died, and Jesus came to her and raised her from the dead. Not because he raises every little child from the dead in this life, but as a way to show us that this Jesus has power even over death itself. This is the Jesus to whom we pray, in whom we believe, about whom we sing. He is the one who has divine sovereignty and authority over all things. And that gives us faith as we encounter the fears of life. Gives us this confidence. And so that was last week. But here in the Gospel of Mark, we see this transition now, a very important moment in the ministry of Jesus and in the move of the kingdom of God. You see, to this point, these disciples that Jesus has called to himself, they have been but witnesses of Jesus' teaching and his work. But now something's going to change. No longer will they just be witnesses of the kingdom's work. Now Jesus will invite them in to become participants in this work of building His kingdom. They go from watchers to workers. And so we have this transition recorded for us. We see it in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, starting at verse 6, when it says, Jesus went around teaching from village to village, and He called the twelve to Himself, 
those first disciples, and he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over impure spirits. And these were the instructions Jesus gave to them. He said, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals, don't even bring an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place you are not welcome or they don't listen to you, leave that place, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and they preached that people should repent and turn to God. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. What were they doing? They're now starting to do what Jesus was doing the chapter before. They're starting to proclaim what Jesus had been proclaiming up till the chapter before. Jesus now says, I give you my authority and I am sending you to do my work. Jesus' mission becomes our mission. Jesus' ministry becomes our ministry as those who know Him and follow Him. And we might look at those words and say, well, yeah, those are the 12 disciples and they had a unique role in God's plan to build the kingdom and the church. And that's not true. What, or th- that, that is true. I mean, I, we're not supposed to take from this. Like our job now is to go and every single one of us should go and be healing people from their diseases and casting out demons. But... What he is showing us, all of us who are disciples of Jesus, is that he has given us his authority, his mandate, his mission to go and to do his work in the world. Now he's going to give us a story, Mark, that's going to help us understand what that actually looks like to participate in the work of God's kingdom, not just to be witnesses but to be workers. And so we have this story that is a famous story, maybe the most famous miracle in Jesus' life. It's the only of the uh, miracles He did that is recorded in all four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John must have thought, this is really important. All of them included this encounter. But Mark alone paints kind of the most vivid, fuller picture of this story of the miraculous feeding of 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And I know what some of you think when you hear that story. You go, we don't actually believe that happened, right? Like, you don't actually believe that happened. Like, we live in modern times, 2020. We know better. We're not primitive people who are gullible, right? Who just easily believe in fairy tales. No, we do believe that Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and he actually multiplied it to feed this throng of people. And although it seems unbelievable, it really shouldn't be because if God is the one who spoke the universe into existence by his very word, let there be light and there was light, that same God can take five buns and two fish and feed a crowd. His power is limitless. He's God. And so in this story, it's easy just to focus on the power of Jesus. And I think normally when we read the story, that's where our focus is. But really, that's not where the focus is supposed to be. The way that this story fits in the gospel and the details he includes, he's trying to show us about the role of us as disciples in participating with Jesus in his ministry. And so I want to kind of set our gaze here on 
the disciples in this story, and I think there's four things that I want us to see. Put them up on the screen here. If you want to jot them down, you're welcome to. Four things to see that show us what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus to participate in His mission in building His kingdom. And the first is this, Jesus' ministry is to the whole person. The whole person. His ministry is holistic. It's to people's spirits and to their bodies. You see, at the beginning of this story, Jesus and the disciples are trying to find rest. They've been busy. They're tired. They're trying to get away, but they can't get away. They get in a boat, they go across the lake, but word gets out where Jesus is going. By the time they show up at the shore, there's a whole crowd waiting for them. And it says, when Jesus landed on the shore and He saw this large crowd, He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So He began teaching them many things. He saw these people, and what what does that mean? They were like sheep without a shepherd. What He saw was a bunch of people that were needy in their spirits in their minds, in their hearts, in their emotions. They were weary. He saw beleaguered people gripped with the fears of life, gripped with the worries of life, aimless like sheep without a shepherd, purposeless, meaningless, trying to find meaning in life. And he he looked over this crowd and he saw sheep without a shepherd. There's a little interesting detail that only Mark includes here that I hadn't picked up until I kind of studied this in a little bit more depth this week, but a few verses later it says, Jesus then directed the crowd, all the people, to sit down in groups on the green grass. Okay, it's an interesting. The grass was green. Interesting little detail. I don't know if it actually was green. This is a desert they're in, very desert-like place. Why does he, why does he give us a little detail? He made them sit down in green grass. Well, maybe... Certain things are firing in your brain. And certainly, the first audience would have understood what Mark was saying here. He's trying to evoke in our minds Psalm 23, which says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. So Mark is painting a picture here saying, Jesus is this shepherd, this one who has come to restore our souls, to dispel our fears and worries, to remove our guilt, to give us purpose in life. A ministry that he has come and completed on the cross when he died for our sin so that we might be forgiven and that we might be reconciled to God and to know God. And to know the life that He gives us now, who He is for us now, but what He promises for us in eternity. A knowledge of God that meets all of our spiritual needs, that satisfies and restores the soul. This is the ministry of Jesus. He sees compassion. They're like sheep without a shepherd, sick in their spirits, hungry, And he satisfies their souls by teaching them about God and his kingdom. But he doesn't stop there. His ministry doesn't stop there because that's not where the kingdom of God stops either. The kingdom of God is about more than saving souls and satisfying souls. The crowd is hungry. 
Here they are. There's no like McDonald's anywhere close by. They're out in the middle of nowhere, and it's, it's been a long day. They're all hungry. The disciples recognize this, and so the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, they're all hungry. You need to send them away. You need to stop preaching. You, you can maybe relate to this. Rusty, stop preaching. We're hungry. Send the people away. They're hungry. He says, Lord, send them away so that they can find food. What does Jesus say? You feed them. You give them something to eat. We'll see in a moment kind of what Jesus is doing there, but certainly what he's doing is he's saying, my ministry isn't just about satisfying souls, hungry spirits. It's about filling hungry bellies as well. It's about ministering to the material needs of people. The kingdom of God is about that. So people would not lack, whether in their spirit or whether in their body. And so at the end of the story, it says, they all ate and they were all satisfied. And something we're supposed to see is that the kingdom of God is about satisfying hungry bellies as well as hungry souls. Because, you know, we can over-spiritualize the kingdom of God. And I think we can do it all the time. I mean, the first church did that too because James tried to address this problem in his little book. James... um, Chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, like you're wanting to minister and encourage their spirit, but but you do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. It's meaningless. So James is saying there too, he would say a few verses before that, religion that is acceptable, pure and acceptable to God is to help orphans and widows in their distress. I remember years ago in a previous church I pastored in, there was a lady at that point that was very elderly, but she recounted for me in very fresh emotion the story when she was a young mom with five kids who had been abandoned by the father. And there she was trying to hold down three jobs just to feed her kids. And it was a daily battle. And she was a part of the church. And, and, and she recounted for me how people would come up to her and say, I'm praying for you. And she said, all I could think of is, I don't need your prayer. I need potatoes. I need potatoes. So in this story, we see we should not over-spiritualize the kingdom of God. Jesus ministers to the whole person, spirit and body. So his ministry is a ministry of both word and deed, not just one or the other, of word and deed. So it's really important we understand this. His mission is not just a matter of preaching the good news, but about bringing into effect into people's lives the good news of healing and deliverance in their life. So that's the first thing we want to see, Jesus' ministries to the whole person. The second thing I want us to see is that Jesus chooses to do His work through His disciples. So they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, they're all hungry, send them away. And Jesus says, you feed them. Now, at the very beginning of the story in verse 30, Mark calls these disciples a word that he doesn't call them anywhere else in his gospel. He calls them the apostles. 
Everywhere else, he calls them just disciples. This is the only time he calls them the apostles, which is just the transliteration of the Greek word apostolos, which means a sent one, one who is sent on a mission, apostle. It's no um, accident that Mark chooses to call them in this moment apostles. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to show what, what, what Jesus is calling us as followers to do and to be. They come to Jesus. Jesus, send them away so they can be fed. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm sending you to them. You are apostles. I am sending you to them. I want you to meet their needs. And of course, you heard the story. How are we going to do that? We don't have nearly enough money to buy food. Jesus says, just go and see how much you have. They go, they do an inventory, five loaves of bread, which like, it's not like a big bread from you know, family foods. Like, it's a bun. This is a little boy's lunch. Not a big salmon. Sardine. Okay? Five buns, two minnows. This is all we have, Jesus. So they put that in Jesus' hands. He lifts it up, we're told. He gives thanks. He breaks the bread. And then what? Does, he, does the miracle happen in that moment when he prays and he brings it down? And there's like, all of a sudden, those five have become like 5,000, 10,000 in this big mound of food? No. It's, it's not exactly clear what this multiplication looked like, but what it... What Jesus says is after he broke the loaves, he gave them to the disciples to distribute them to the people. So what it seems to be is that he, he, gave, he gave this to the disciples and as they were giving it away, there was more. It multiplied. But the miracle doesn't necessarily happen in the hands of Jesus. The miracle happens in the hands of the disciples as they give it away. And it's not their power multiplying it. It's Jesus' power, but he's working their power as they're working. And this is an important thing to see. The miracle happens in the hands of the disciples as they are doing the work. There's a well-known Christian philosopher, Peter Kreeft is his name, most of you won't recognize the name, but um, he has on the door of his office this cartoon of two turtles. One turtle says, sometimes I'd like to ask why God allows pain and suffering when he could do something about it. The other turtle replies, I'm afraid God might ask me the same question. That's the story. God, do something. Send them away. He says, I will do something. You are my something. You are my something. You're my miracle. It'll be my power. It won't be your power. It'll be my power. I'll work it. But you distribute And so, there's a statue in England. I've mentioned it before, but in the Blitzkrieg of World War II, this whole church was destroyed. Everything was demolished except for this one statue of Jesus, which was untouched except that both of Jesus' outreached hands had been blown off. And so, they kept that statue. You can still find it in the church in England. And they put a plaque on the base of, of the statue which says, Christ has no hands but ours. We are the hands. And there's a sense in which that We don't want to misunderstand that. It's not that he needs us. He's powerless without you. Like he's one half and you're half and together you make a whole. No, it's just that the way God works is he chooses to work through you, through his people. 
we are His hands through which He builds His kingdom. He ministers to people in spirit and in body. So that's the second thing we see here. Jesus chooses to do His work through His disciples. It was true then, it's true now. The third thing is that Jesus will use whatever you have to give. So these disciples went, all they found were these five buns and these two fish. And I'm sure they thought, well, this is a problem. This won't do. Should we even go and tell them this is embarrassing? This is all we have? Well, he said to go check. Well, Jesus, what do you have, guys? <laughs> I'm just sorry. I feel bad, but this is it. Okay, that'll do. That'll do. Now just give it, give it to me. Right? It's not too little. And I'm sure they felt like it was too little. Why bother? And sometimes we can feel the same. We're not sure we have enough to really make a difference, to really help. What do we have to give? Just five loaves, two fish. I don't know about you, but I tend to want to have an ass- the assurance before I do something that I have enough. I have enough knowledge. I have enough, re- I have enough money, enough giftedness, enough whatever. A few years ago, my uncle and aunt, they upgraded their tent trailer. They gave us their old tent trailer. And he said to me, you'll probably want to have a spare with you. Really? Like, I might need a spare? Yeah, you might need a spare. What if one's not enough? So I went to Princess Otto and got two spares. Oh my goodness, that's a bit of a drive. What if two spares isn't enough? Went to Princess Otto and got a third spare. I had this van, pulled this tent trailer, three spares. The kids are like, Dad, we want to bring our bikes. There's no room, kids. Leave your bikes at home. Daddy's got a spare tires. Never know how much you're going to need. But if you go back to when he sends out the 12, in chapter 6, verse 8, he says, take nothing up for the journey except a staff. No bread, interesting, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, no extra shirt, don't book a hotel in advance. What is he trying, what is Jesus saying? You, as my followers, need to to, to learn to be good at being inadequate. Because I'm going to call you to do things that are beyond your ability. That's okay. As you go, it will be provided for you. How am I going to get through this? How could I ever go on? As you go, it will be provided for you. You won't have everything you need at the beginning of the journey. Be good at being inadequate. That obedience precedes understanding. This is really important. As followers of Jesus, obedience precedes understanding. They didn't know what, what, how, how could this ever work out. Jesus, give it to me. Okay. Right? Obedience precedes understanding. We do, and then as we do, God does. 
And so he would talk about this in other places in the Gospels, right? He would say, hey, don't worry about what you're going to say when you stand up before the, you know, the rulers and the kings to give an account of the Gospel. In that moment, words will be given to you. Don't be afraid. Don't shy away. Telling my friend about Jesus. What would, I don't know, if, what if there's a question I can't answer? And what if it doesn't come out right? And maybe I just shouldn't say anything. Maybe I won't have enough. Maybe, maybe if I'm involved in that ministry and do the thing, maybe I'll fail. Maybe I'm, I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't have what it takes. Obedience precedes understanding. There's nothing that is too little for God to use and to multiply. Things multiply in His hands. Nothing is too little. And so if there's like a big statement that I'd love for you to like keep in your brain to take home with you, it would be this, this statement. What this story shows us is that we have inexcusable responsibilities, but God has inexhaustible resources. As followers of Jesus, as much as we might think there are excuses for why we couldn't and why we shouldn't, we have an inexcusable responsibility because our God has inexhaustible resources. So what are those five loaves and two fish? It's not bread and fish. What is that in your life? Well, it could be almost anything. What is it that God has entrusted to you? It might be material things. It might be skills. It might be relationships, spiritual gifts. I mean, I, I, I think there's actually a lot of correlation between the terminology in this story and the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 when he says in verse 7, but to each of us grace or gifts have been given as Christ apportioned it, that as grace has been given to each of us, which is why it says, and then it quotes the Old Testament, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Same idea. He gives gifts, he sprinkles that out to us, to use, to do his work, and then he adds his power to that. There's nothing that's too little for God. So, what are the five loaves and two fish in your life? Going forward, post-COVID, post-COVID. I'm not sure if there's going to be a day where we're like, this is post-COVID. But my understanding of the rules is next week we can have more chairs in here. And the tables are going to be back up out there. And then a couple weeks after that, these things will be optional. And we're going to be doing a lot more. There's going to be two years of adjusting and pivoting, and there's going to be all sorts of ways to serve within our body. Right? Let alone beyond our body. To serve our kids, to serve our youth in all sorts of ways, on our prayer teams we're creating. So keep your ears open to hear God's voice. So Jesus will use whatever you have to give. And the last thing I want us to see is that Jesus shows us that He will ensure your needs will be met as you do His work. Your needs will be met as you are, in Jesus' name, meeting the needs of others. At the end of the story, it tells us when everyone else had their fill, there were some leftovers. How much was left over? 
Anyone remember? Shout it out. Huh? Twelve. There were twelve baskets of leftovers. What do you think that's all about? Twelve disciples. Twelve baskets of leftovers. At the very beginning of the story, in verse 31, when they're trying to find a, a, a reprieve rest, it says, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, even before this story happens, we're told the disciples are hungry. They'd had a long day. They hadn't even had a chance to eat yet. And then they get to the other side of the lake where they're going to have a nice, quiet picnic lunch, and all they get is a crowd of hungry people. And Jesus says, feed them. And I'm, I'm wondering if as he's feeding them, they're going, oh, my tummy's kind of rumbly. When is this going to run out? When is this going to run out? Is there going to be enough for me at the end of this? And when everyone else had their fill, they count the leftovers, 12 baskets. What's going on? Jesus is saying, when you do my work, I will meet your needs. Don't worry about yourself. I will take care of you. You cannot outgive God. There's this saying that says, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible, just in case some of you thought it was. I, I get what it's trying to say, but I don't know that it's so true. Maybe, maybe a truer statement would be, God helps those who help others. And so Jesus will say this in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Verse 31, he says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, that is the, the people of the world, they run, after, they run after all these things, like trying to make sure that they're going to have enough. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Other people are running around trying to ensure that they have enough spare tires. Not you. You go and you seek first my kingdom. And your Father who knows what you need and has the power to provide will ensure that you have what you need. You cannot outgive God. He will meet your needs as you do His work. Christ's mission is our mission, church. You know, God hasn't just called you into His kingdom, which is marvelous. It is marvelous. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus sends out His disciples, they come back and report, and they're amazed. They, come, they report to Jesus, we did it! I don't know, we did it, we did it! People were healed, we cast out demons, they're rejoicing. And Jesus says, great guys, hold on. Right? It's great to rejoice about all those things, but what's better is to rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. It is good to belong to God, to be called into His kingdom, but it doesn't stop there. Those he has called into his kingdom, he has drafted to participate in his work, and that's you and me, if we have chosen to follow Jesus.
the work of partnering with him to build his kingdom in the ways that he enables. We have an inexcusable responsibility because God has inexhaustible resources. So here's a few questions on the screen for you to ponder and pray over. I think it would be good for each of us and then corporately as a church to ask God to open your eyes to see the needs around you and then to give you the compassion and the courage to respond. It's so easy just to go through life, head down, thinking about our own lives, right? Ask God for the ability to look around and see the needs of those around you. And that might be like the the person you share a bed with. That might be the place. Might be in your own house. He'd open your eyes and give you compassion. Might be your neighborhood. Might be your church or further beyond. Ask God to open your eyes to see the needs around you and then like Jesus to have his compassion on people who are hurting. And secondly, let me invite you to ask this question. How can you use your loaves and fishes to be God's miracle to another? What has God given to you and how can you use that to be God's miracle to another. What, what could it look like for you to participate with Him in the work of His kingdom? Because Jesus' mission is our mission. His ministry is our ministry. There was another day, and Mark will record it later in the gospel. It's almost like this story foreshadows another day when He's with His disciples, when He again takes bread and He gives thanks and He breaks the bread. And he says, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. I am the bread of life. And your life comes through my broken body. And what what did he mean? Well, he meant that his death on the cross... His, the sacrifice of himself, he gave all he had to give in order to bring us to God, to reconcile us, to give us God's forgiveness, to give us the hope of eternal life. If you don't have one of these, because you came in, you didn't see them, they're passing them out, just kind of raise your hand, we'll make sure you get one. We want everyone who wants one to have one, you don't have to participate. But I want you to take that little piece of bread and I want you to look at that bread and that bread represents Jesus' body which is broken for you. And maybe today you need to receive that bread and I don't mean by putting this in your mouth. I mean by receiving Jesus into your life. Maybe today's the day that you need to stop doing life your way and trusting in your own self, in your own wisdom, and to to believe what Jesus has done for you and paying for your sin and becoming a way for you to be reconciled with God. And maybe today you need to repent of your sin and, and, and declare your need of God's mercy and offer your life to God and receive Jesus as your Lord, Lord and Savior Maybe you need to receive that bread that brings life today. And that can happen just by asking. He gives to all who ask.
I want to just invite you into a moment of prayer where you, between you and God, you just take a, a, a minute to thank Him for the life that He gives to you through His Son, Jesus. Thank Him that you have a shepherd that satisfies your every need. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this bread represents my body which is broken for you. Remember me and remember that every time you eat of it together, Jesus is our bread of life. Let's eat together. You can gingerly remove that wrapper off your cup. I don't know how many more months. Maybe next month it'll be back to the common cup. We'll all be slurping from the same cup. Anyone looking forward to that? You might be busy that day. As someone who follows Jesus, you have the privilege of partnering with him to build his kingdom. What, what, what more meaningful life could someone have? People that build businesses and hoard wealth. Meaningless. God gives us a meaning that goes beyond this life, beyond death into eternity. We can make an eternal difference when we give what we have and together with the power of God build his kingdom. Just take a moment before we drink together to ask God, God, would you show me how I can do that? Would you show me, God, what, what these loaves and these fish look like in my life? God, just express, I want to be used by you. Use me, God. Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember that every time you drink of it together. Let's remember. Father in heaven, thank you that you are the giver of life. Not only did you give us physical life, Lord, but that through your son Jesus that you have brought us into spiritual life, a life that can go on forever and ever and ever, a life that no circumstance, not even death, can separate us from. We thank you, God, that you invite us into your kingdom to, to receive this life, to live in it, Thank you that we are not without a shepherd. 
but we have one who satisfies our souls, who dispels our fears and our worries, who gives us hope in dark times. God, you have invited us to be used. You want to use us. You want to work your power through us and do great things through us as as individuals and as families and as a church. And God, we want to be used. Lord, would you just show us what it would look like to take what we have and just lay it into the hands of Jesus, even if it just seems so small and meager. We know nothing is too small for you. We just, we we place ourselves into your hands. Use us, God, to build your kingdom so that more and more people may know the joy of knowing you. In Jesus' name.